Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. Don't like your odds? Enjoy daily bet boosts on your favourite sports and make your best bet now at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba. And you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. Hello Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, we are delighted to have this individual on the show today. He is a man who made 23 appearances, scoring two goals for the club. He played with the likes of Robbie Di Matteo, Frank LeBeuf and a certain Gianfranco Zola. Here is Paul Hughes. Paul, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? Very well. Very well, thanks Keith. Obviously, you know, just come back from watching a Brentford under 23 game so yeah I'm in my life is like a non-league manager but um yeah no good I'm very good actually and I'm, I'm really pleased to be here with you actually good that's great before we talk about your Chelsea career you've mentioned obviously you're a manager in, in your own right yeah the main story that's been dominating the world of football let alone this country has been the take on this European breed league as I like to call it um what's your opinion on this you know are you for it against it what's your Do you know I think, well, I posted a little bit on LinkedIn about it. I, I, I just felt that you've got to let the dust settle and find out why these clubs decided that this was a good move. Because at the moment, we've just reacted very emotionally to it, quite rightly so. Because it's, it sort of took a dagger to the soul and spirit of football, it seems. And I think that's why pundits and fans have just risen. But I think there's obviously something going on in the background. Maybe it's negotiations with UEFA, maybe... Maybe it's a ploy by the clubs to say, look, we, you know, we're, we're capable of doing this unless you, you sort of be a bit more reasonable in your uh, negotiations with us. So I don't quite know the ins and outs. I don't think any of us know quite the ins and outs of it. But if you want to do a, a European league where you're only invited in and you're playing all around the world and you're not, it seems a bit of a slap in the face for the local fan as well. So that's how it looks like from the outside looking in. But like we are involved in it so we don't quite know why they decided to do it and I think when we know that we can make a bit more of an educated informed sort of opinion on it yeah I I, I do agree with that I think that this whole story of European Super League I don't think is over personally I don't think we've heard the last of it to be honest I think probably not this year maybe in a few years time I think the topic of conversation will come up again it's probably not the best timing you know we've obviously pandemic and you know, p- people like yourself, fans who have not gone to games for so long, you know, over a year now, people are mm. missing that sort of fix, if, if 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 that makes sense, you know. So, yeah. 
yeah, I can see obviously two sides of the coin. I, you know, personally, and I have said this on sort of the show before and my given my views on social media, I do think UEFA's format of the Champions League needs to change anyway. I don't think <clears> it's, I don't think it's great, but you know, this was completely and utterly, uh, it was completely and utterly a story that, you know, was, was going to divide a, a, a lot of opinions and people have obviously, made their feelings known and the clubs have backed down, which probably is right decision. But now chairman and chief executives have got to bite the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, probably explain, yeah, explain their actions. But and they're, 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 you know, very bright people in charge of these clubs. But yeah, if they've lost touch with the fans, then that's not a good thing because the fans, as we all know, they are the club, aren't they? You know, if they stop buying tickets, stop paying, buying pay-per-view, stop subscribing to Sky, then it doesn't work, does it? And then obviously, and it's, a soul, it's the soul of football, isn't it? So I'm interested to see what the chairman say and why they thought it was a possibly a good idea, because I'm sure there's some logic behind it, um, which we need to know. Hmm. And then we can, you know, make our conclusions based on what they say. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, we'll obviously hmm. see what happens, you know, between now and, it, 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 even in a matter of a few days, you know, there will still probably be news about it as the days and weeks progress. But Paul, we're not just here to talk about the European Greed League. We are talk, here <laughs> to talk about your Chelsea career. And it's it's something I was doing research over the last week or so. And it, it sort of threw me a little bit that with your career, it sort of panned out, obviously, the way it did. But how it started was quite intriguing, considering mm. that at the time, Chelsea were on the up and certain players' careers didn't go to the same height. So we'll start from the very beginning, Paul, if that's all right. Who influenced you to become a professional footballer? Um, who influenced me? Got so many people. I think um, in the playground, which is quite funny how it went, actually. In the playground, I was always Glenn Hoddle. You know, I pretended to be him because, well, quite obviously a superb player, wasn't he? It was, it was a delight to watch. Um, and I, I just loved the way he played. Um, I wasn't a Tottenham fan. I just loved the way he played. I just remember the 1986 World Cup. And I just thought, you know, that, that mesmerised me. Um, what was I? I was eight years, I don't know, four, so 10 years old. Um, and that mesmerised me. I just loved it. I watched every game. And um, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. I liked Platini as well. I thought he was a superb player. And as I, as the, you know, as I grew in my career, I just, you know, people like Zidane, I thought, were just awesome. Um, the way they made the game look so easy and they knew what they were doing before they received the ball. They had great pictures, saw patterns early. I mean, those type of players, I always, um, yeah, adored. I thought I was in awe of those type of players. Because of those particular players, did it make you sort of decide that you wanted to be a midfielder based on that because of the likes of Hoddle and Platini, because of their roles within their side? Did you think that as a Possibly. kid and when it was growing up, that was where you wanted to be? Possibly. I think that, you know, when you're inspired by those sort of people, I think you um, you try you try and emulate them. Not that I was anywhere near that. But I mean, you try, you try and emulate their, what they do, don't you? Because they are the people you look up to. But um, yeah, quite possibly so. Quite, that might have shaped me into being a, a more central midfielder. When I was young, you know, for the, for the district teams, you know, my district was Ealing. So our school, you know, had a representative side and they used to play on the left of midfield sort of coming in. But uh, I eventually sort of become a, a central midfielder. Yeah. 
You started your career at Chelsea. What was the academy set up like back then? Because you know, I've heard stories that would sort of make your hairs on the back of your neck sort of stand up. The, the state of the facilities from back then compared to what footballers are going through now. But what was the academy set up like? Sort of what, how were the youth coaches did you do in regards to training? And many people I've spoken to have sort of have highly recommended you know, people like Graham Ricks, who was fantastic for player development. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, um, well, they're certainly not QPR using it now, you know. Well, obviously, it's been yes. done. But, so, yeah, they use those things now. But, yeah, you're right. They, they obviously kept the pitches up and it's it's a much better facility. Hmm. Um, yeah, Harlington, yeah, wasn't the greatest facility because um, the pitches weren't fantastic back then. Um, but it was, you know, we, we didn't know any better, did we? You know, for me, it was, you know, there were dressing rooms, there was a pitch and, you know, that's what I'm used to. But, um yeah, the actual setup there, well, you know, I was there since I was 10 years old. So I was in what used to be the cow shed at the back of the back of the shed end, I think it might have been, where we used to just kick a ball about. We play, you know, we also had sessions in the car park. And I remember kicking balls. If you go, if you kick the ball too far, you go in where it was a load of rubbish tip and you had to dodge the foxes to get the ball back. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people back then would remember that. And then we migrated to Battersea Park and we trained twice, two evenings a week there. And then through that process, then you eventually become a, you know, an apprentice. Um, I actually, I actually wasn't a apprentice. I was, just, I stayed on at school to do A levels, but I was still obviously training every day with the lads and, and getting my development that way. Um, but yeah, Ted Dale, um, he facilitated my schooling because he was at Drayton Manor in Ealing, which is where I'd done my A levels and. He was a teacher there, so he, he facilitated that for me and arranged a timetable around my training. He was brilliant, very good coach and a good guy. Uh, Rick, you mentioned, very instrumental for me personally because I think he understood me as a player and he, he was a very, very good coach. Like you say, he, was, he could see, he could explain the game simply. Um, he could inspire, he could motivate. Um, but above all, he, he knew the game. And he was a very good player as well. I mean, when you watch Rixie play, I mean, he was... You know, he weren't quite the huddle, but he weren't far off. He was a really good player. Um, and when he joined in the sessions, he was, he was you know, usually the best player. And also, I remember him playing in the early stages of one of the Europe, European competitions. Right? I mean, Victoria Zitzkoff, something like that. That's right, yes, 94-95 season, yeah. That's right. And yeah. uh, I remember I was like a 17-year-old on the bench for that game. And, and Rixie played. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, at that age, to still play at that level was quite impressive. Um, and obviously Hoddle himself was, was was exceptionally gifted in terms of the way he saw the game and the way he could explain it and and um, translate his ideas to the players. Um, so you know it was for that reasons it was good. I mean you know it wasn't all, it wasn't all great. I remember before Rixie there was Peter Nicholas and it was a very different style, uh, completely different to Rixie, completely different style of play. And you know I wouldn't play many games in his youth team. And then, you know, a change of a change of management at the top with Hoddle coming in, a change of youth team management with Rixie coming in. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm in the team playing every week. So that's the story of football. That's how fortunate you need to be in this game. Because, um, you know, if, if Peter Nicholas stayed in charge, possibly I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have started my career at Chelsea. That must have been good for you, obviously, when you've just mentioned about your footballing idols, the fact that Glenn Hodder was one of them and he was the coach at Chelsea and you was, as you say, a teenager at Chelsea. That must have given you sort of a massive lift in confidence and self-esteem, knowing that Hoddle, one of your idols, is the main mm. coach at Chelsea. 
Yeah, really weird, really weird. <laughs> you are a bit in awe. Yeah, strange, strange. But I mean, then it's your, it's your job, then, isn't it? So you're more focused on on uh, developing and developing your skills, and you know, this is your craft now. So it was, it was, you know, you don't your working relationship with this person as well. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was, yeah, in awe of him coming to the club because, yeah, I, you know, you know, from like seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I was pretending to be him. Mm. you know, in the playground. So, so it's a big deal, isn't it? That a dream come true, isn't it? Yeah. Being from the academy, obviously going up through the ranks, did you feel any extra pressure from the coaches that you needed to succeed and be part of the first team? Or was there no sort of case of, there was no rush at all, you could sort of carry on with your development, but... Um, I don't think so. I think from memory what they did they tended to drip feed you into the first team sessions if they thought you had a chance and you know when you get drip fed you know that migration to first team environment becomes less harsh so you sort of got used to it they've got used to you they're now realizing oh this player is highly thought of and they're trying to push him through to the first team so then the first team players get a feel for you um certainly no pressure from the coaching side i think all players you know, relatively successful players have that inner drive, that inner pressure they've got themselves to to go to those heights. Mm. And I think I was no different to that. I had a lot of internal pressure to to be the best and to to perform to a high level of to a high standard. And that at that stage, you know, when I was 17, 18, 19, you know, Chelsea was becoming a big team. You know, you had Hullet arriving, you had Di Matteo, you had Zoli, you had Viali. You had Petrescu, you know, the list goes on. I mean, they were they were big names. Mm. So I think that what normalised it is you're in a training environment where they're normal people, you can speak to them, you can chat. Um, but the pressure, I think, was more, I think, from memory, I think it was more internal, like me wanting wanting to do well and wanting to, to be at a high level mm. more than being necessarily pushed in any direction by the coaches. On the 18th of January, 1997, a significant day in your Chelsea career, you made your debut for the club against Derby. Mm. It was a game that you scored your first goal. I've just got a couple of questions concerning this. When did you know that you'd be in the squad for that game? And what was going through your mind after scoring in your first game in front of the Chelsea supporters? I think, well, the background to that, was I had a quite serious long-term injury. I had something called pubic synthesis where my my pelvis was mobile, it was moving. Therefore, every time I change direction, I get a sharp pain sort of, you know, well, where the pelvis joins, just below my nuts. If (laughs) you want exactly where the pain was. And um, I couldn't shake it. And previously, I had shin splints, which lasted a year. So I literally had about from 17 to 20, about two years of injury, which not people, not a lot of people... No. So I didn't play much football, yet the club had enough faith in me back then to still keep me on because they saw something. And obviously, you know, when I made my debut, they would, you know, they could say, oh, that's why we kept him on. But um, I, I had literally only played about, I was out for about a year and a bit. I only played about two months before I was drafted into the squad. So naturally I was thinking, geez, you know, I've had a long time out. I'm going straight into, into Premier League football. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't realise is when you play with such good players, 
it does make the game easier because when we, every, you know, the way we've had every time you got the ball, you had one or two options or three or four options to pass the ball to. So when you're a footballing team and you're a football player, if you've got those options, it becomes quite a nice environment to play in on the pitch because you've got all these good players ready and available to receive the ball. So I just remember being in the squad. I can't remember what I was told, if I'm honest. It was so long ago. Mm. But I do remember being brought on because why is he hurt his groin? And back then it was only two subs, wasn't it? That's right, so, yeah. yeah. Um, why is he hurt his groin? I was one of the subs. And coming in and, and uh, Rude said to me, Husey, get your, you know, get your gear on, get ready. And I'm like, oh, well, whole half. I was expecting maybe a five-minute, ten-minute cameo, but a whole half. <laughs> so I was. I remember thinking, actually, I have to be honest. I was thinking, if I could, can you just give me a week to prepare? I'll come back next week and I'll be ready for this. You know, mate. You know, not right now, but just give me because it, it was a big deal, as you can imagine. Um, but I just remember watching games, and I always used to think that players that played with confidence and players that just were committed in everything they do, the fans and I warmed to. I, I liked watching players like that. So I just remember going on the pitch saying, you've trained, you've done your hard work, you've got, you've rehabbed, you've done everything right, you're a good player, you've trained with these guys, it's the same pitch, just do everything with conviction. Do everything as if you mean it. And I did, I remember the first time I got the ball, uh, I turned out with conviction, then passed it maybe 10, 15 yards, but done it with conviction. And it just felt good. I felt, oh, I belong here. And then... You know, the, the crowd could sense, oh, this, this kid can play. So I remember, I remember running onto the pitch. It was just a rustle of programme notes. People are probably 27. Who, who's this 27? You know, you hear all these programmes going. And then, um, yeah, and then obviously found my way into the game. And after sort of 10, 15 minutes, I just remember the lads just kept giving me the ball. Just kept giving me the ball. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is great. They trust me. Um, and my confidence was growing and growing and growing. And... Um, yeah, I just, it was probably my best game for the club, if I'm honest, because when I certainly remember the goal, um, I was just feeling so confident. I remember pointing to Di Matteo saying, Robbie, I need you there. I need you there. And Robbie was thinking, no, 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 you don't. You need to, I can play a one-two with you here. So I, instead of him doing what I wanted him to do, I passed it to him. I did what he wanted me to do and played a one-two with me. And then Hughesy, Mark Hughes, um, obviously a great player, he then peeled off, giving me an angle. So I thought, oh, this is easy. So I played a one-two with him. And he played a perfectly weighted pass for me because he's such a good player. And then I just remember the goalkeeper being hesitant. I think, are you going to come and get this or not? And he didn't, which gave me the chance just to, just to put it in the back of the net. And then, yeah, the crowd erupted and then singing your name and the lads doing all this. It was, it was a really, really unbelievable moment for me. Um, and it, the, the, the players' reactions, I think the players knew I'd been out a long time with injury and had a lot of injury problems. So I think they were happy for me to, to make you know, such a good debut that time. There was one particular game in the FA Cup against Portsmouth away. You started the game and I was speaking to a few Chelsea fans about that particular team and the mm. first person they mentioned on who had a good game was yourself, Paul Hughes. Mm. And do you remember much about that particular game against Portsmouth in the FA Cup? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, not, not detail. Uh, obviously, I remember having a good game. Uh, I remember it being the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, which was a big deal for me. That's why I always earmark it as a memorable game for me. Um, but again, the, the the team played very well that game. Um, they were exceptional because Portsmouth were a good team, and we just totally dismantled them. Like we, we we dominated them, and I should have scored. I remember it was like a touchline scramble, and I was there, and I 
I've had a good connection on it. I've, done, I've no, no idea the keeper saved it because I'd love to have got on the score sheet that game because because you know, I, I, had, I had a good game. And I guess it was nice just to just to affect and have an impact on a game with so many good players in it to show that you belong here. You belong as part of this team. You belong um, as part of this journey that Chelsea are on. And um, you're you're not only part of it, you're you're um, contributing. You're contributing to their to their success. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my my issues were certainly those seasons. I couldn't quite stay fit for long enough, yeah. long enough periods. Yeah. And and the problem when when you when you're in a squad like Chelsea had is that if you can't stay fit, you can't do it consistently, and someone else will come in and 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 stake their claim for the place and. And that's pretty much much what happened to me towards the end of that season is I couldn't quite stay fit enough to uh, to stake a claim. One game that season that again sort of makes me laugh when when you look back on it and you sort of think about that it would probably never happen in this day and age. There was a significant game. It was on the 9th of April '97. Chelsea were away to Coventry, and it was the game where Chelsea had to play in Coventry's away kit. Um, it, I think there is highlights of it on YouTube. So if you if you've not seen it before, I'd go out and find it. It is it is quite a it is quite a, an interesting watch. Do, do you remember that particular incident? And did this? Do you think sort of looking back now, obviously you know, nearly twenty five years later, do you think having that issue affected the players on the pitch because obviously Chelsea lost the game? Do you think that had a an effect on the team's performance at all? Uh, yeah, gosh, I do remember. I'm just, I just think we were sort of like amazed that Oz, Ozzy was the kit man back then, Bob Osborne. Um, that he'd forgotten the kit. <laughs> you know, um, I do remember a few of the lads getting the white tape and putting the white tape across the badge and across the um, anything that had Coventry on it. Mm. We'd done that. I mean, some, some, yeah, I, I found that quite strange. I wouldn't bother it was Coventry's kit. I understood you know, the mistake that had been made. Um, but, yeah, what do I remember that game? It was a bit of a disjointed performance. I remember that. I do remember getting the goal because I remember it was quite a tight angle. I had to slide in to get to get on the score sheet. And I remember saying, I think it was to Jody Morris at the time in the, in the dressing room, I said to him, I need a goal. You know, I've, I had a couple of performances where I've I've been average. I said, I need a goal. You know, I remember saying that to him. And it came for the end of the game, said, you got your goal. That is, it's hard. I have to keep saying it for every game. But um, no, I didn't. I, I don't. I just remember it wasn't a great performance. I remember that. Um, I remember playing against Gordon Strachan actually, and I remember thinking, "What, what a good little player he was!" You know, you obviously, you know, it sounds a bit patronised, doesn't it? Because he's had such a great career. Yeah. But towards yeah. the end of his career, to play against him and realise how tenacious, how you know, how good a player he was, was was quite a nice thing for me to experience. You know, catching the tail end of his career. So I do remember playing against him and thinking, "What a good player he was." Um, but yeah, other than that, it was it was just it was a bit hazy. It's, it's twenty odd years ago now. Yes, yes. Um, but obviously, I remember the goal because it was I was only one of two goals I scored for Chelsea, so the goal stuck in my memory. But the game, yeah, it was we lost it three two. But it, I just remember us being a little bit off it, mm-hmm. which you, which you get during the Premier League season. You can't always be you know totally on your game, and we were slightly off it that game. Mm-hmm. Rude Hull, it was the coach in, in charge for his debut season. What was he like to work under? Yeah, uh, well, quite obviously very charismatic character. Um, obviously hugely successful football player. Uh, I, what I liked about him was the fact that 
it seemed that whatever he changed in the game, whether it was at half-time or on the sideline, it worked. So he obviously had a really good understanding of, of football because sometimes coaches make tweaks to games, it doesn't work or it makes it worse. Everything he tweaked seemed to work and made made it better for the team. So I, I think we had a lot of respect for him for that. And I think one thing he always said about was good players, football's just a game of patterns. You know, patterns emerging. The ball's here, there's a pattern emerge. The ball's over there, a pattern emerges. And the more you see those patterns, the more, uh, the better player you are because you know where the ball's going to go. You know, and if you look at anything, poker, patterns, you know, trading, patterns. You know, I do corporate coaching now. I'm looking for patterns in human behaviour. There's patterns everywhere. And I think football's no different. And I think when you become experienced in it and you learn the patterns quick, you know where the ball's going to go. You know what to do, what position to be in uh, is the most advantageous at that moment in time. And I think Rude Hoodit was excellent at that. And I think that his philosophy came across that way. And I always remember him coaching, if we were playing possession games or small-sided games, if the guy in the ball gave it away, it was never his fault. It was always, you should give him an angle or you should have been available. So he put the onus on everybody else to be available for the man on the ball. So it created an environment where everyone wanted the ball because you know, it was never your fault when you give it away because <laughs> he should have given you an angle and he should have shown for you. It, it it's another version work. of hot potato. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah exactly. The, the, the opposite to that, yeah. So um, I do remember that and I think he was, he was fantastic for that. Again, I have no idea what went on behind the scenes and, and why Viali then took over and obviously he was sacked. I, you know, I, I really don't know the ins and outs of that. Probably at a senior player level, maybe they had chats about that. I don't know. But um, it was a, it was sad for me to see him go because when he went, obviously that was my, he, you know, he, he could see me in the team or see me in the squad where Viali couldn't. Um, so that was the, the sort of big change for me is, again, change of management, same again. Change of management, slight, slightly change of philosophy, slightly different approach. And now that style doesn't work. So we'll talk about Viali uh, later. Just a, just a couple of more things I did want to uh, bring up. The FA Cup final in 97, huge occasion for Chelsea fans and, in fact, the entire football club. You, unfortunately, were left out of the squad, though. What was mm. going through your mind at this point to be left out mm. on, on such a huge occasion for the club? Yeah. Um, well, look, you're still involved because they. I think we took about 24 people. So you're still on the coach to Wembley. You're still in the stand watching the game. You're still involved in the celebrations after. So you were able to soak in the whole experience. I just wasn't on the bench. Um, and, like you know, I, I wasn't in the bench for the semi-final. Again, I think from memory, I, I was injured and then couldn't get back in the team. And then I... You know, you lose, you lose your place. It's that simple. Um, and other players are coming in and playing well. And that's, that's, that's football. So you have to accept that. And a club like Chelsea with so many good players that anyone that was going to come in was going to, was going to do well. Because uh, you also world-class players as well as, as well as good young players coming through as well. So mm. I think I was, I was disappointed, but I was, yeah, I was, I remember I wasn't at that stage. I, I don't necessarily think I was in, enjoying my football as much as I could have been you know I wasn't if I compare my my enthusiasm and my enjoyment from my debut days to that moment it wasn't only what six months later or whatever it was it was a big change it was a big change actually I I I was 
getting to grips with the reality of or football, the reality of a dressing room, the reality of um, nice people, not nice people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the reality yeah, of, yeah. of the, of the yeah. real world. And I think a lot of that, I wasn't liking. I wasn't liking. Um, and I think that that might have played a part on my own form, actually, um, towards the end of the season, because I wasn't, as, I wasn't enjoying my football as much as I, I felt I should be. So that was a big. That was that's what I remember about it at that time. Actually, your debut season, you made thirteen appearances across the different competitions. Was you happy with that return, or was you expecting more? Well, from January, uh, so was it January the debut? So that's what three months of football. If you go through to May, maybe four months of football. Um, well, I had a couple of injuries in that time as well. So yeah. you know. That's what would have. That's what happened a lot in my career. It restricted my appearances because I wasn't. I wasn't able to be selected. Um, but also, um, yeah, no. It, for for that team, it was a good return because it's your, it's your debut season. You got thirteen games, couple of goals. You, you're on the bench for a few games. You're still soaking up the experience and um, learning loads. Um, so it wasn't a bad return. Uh, from my opinion, but obviously, yeah, you want to play every game, but I mean, who doesn't? Um, yeah. But there was still a lot of learning there, so I do remember learning a huge amount in that in that in that season alone. The next season, ninety seven, ninety eight, Chelsea played Manchester United in the Charity Shield at Wembley. You did make the squad. Yeah. What was your memories on that day and on, on that occasion, you know, going up against arguably one of the best teams in Europe at, at that stage in Manchester United? Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh, what were my memories of it? Good question. <laughs> um, well, it's obviously it's a huge day, isn't it? It's a huge, it's a huge occasion. Um, I think my, I've got much more vivid memories of playing them at Old Trafford because I've actually played the full 90 minutes in that game. So I've got much more vivid memories of that day. That still sticks in my mind, that game, for various reasons. Uh, but the actual Charity Shield Day, um, yeah, I just remember it being, you know, a wonderful occasion, you know. It wasn't, I guess it was the fact that I wasn't playing, you know. Mm. I think that that may have been it. It's just I'm here to experience rather than get stuck in and get involved, which probably is why it wasn't so, it wasn't so ingrained in my memory as the, as the league game. Mm. Because, you know, you are playing and you are actually physically playing against some of the best players in the world at that time. Mm. You've mentioned you played against Manchester United at Old Trafford. What was that like for you? Just mentioned that you being part of it is a lot better than sort of being on the sidelines. What sort of experiences do you remember of that occasion playing for Chelsea? I just remember it being um, obviously a packed house, um, an unbelievable atmosphere and you're playing against one of the best teams in Europe. You know, Giggs, Beckham, Skulls, King. I mean, it was that era. Palester, was it Bruce and Palester, was it? I can't. Certainly Schmeichel in goal, Giggsy. You know, it was a fantastic team. But I remember playing right back that game because Rude had a very attacking philosophy and just felt, you know, that the fullbacks could be the people getting out and maybe starting the attacks and causing problems. So I played right back. So I had to play against Poborski and then Giggs that game. And by trade, I'm a midfielder, obviously. So having to play against those two in a position that I'm not fully familiar with was, was a massive challenge for me. And that's why I remember it because I, you know, I felt great after the game. But I do remember the goal 
that Solskjaer scored. I mean, I still stick to my memory because the bus gone for it. And I felt I probably could have took it on my chest, but I didn't shout because it looked like he was going to just clear it with his head. But he'd stretched. I'd gone to sort of take it on my chest. He'd flicked it over my head to Solskjaer. And then I just realised what world class was because that's one minor mistake. We reacted quick, but by the time we'd reacted and turned around, he controlled it on a sixpence and shot. And you could not have put this ball any further in the top corner than he did. And I just remember going, we've just drawn the game. You know, we were winning 2-1. We've just drawn the game because I've switched. I, I've made one mistake and a world-class player has punished us, like controlled it, put it in the top corner before you could turn around. And if you, It's probably on YouTube somewhere, but the finish was, was just one of the best finishes I've ever seen. Yeah, I've seen and it. It was a very good technical finish. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And I just remember thinking, well, that's what world-class is. That's taught me a huge lesson today. Uh, we could have won the game. We deserved to win the game 2-1 that day. We deserved to win the game. And then through that one mistake by me, you know, a top-class player has punished us. And that, that stuck with me, but that was a good learning curve for me. You, know? you, you didn't volunteer your services to be right back again then? Uh, I think they're playing against Overmars next game against Arsenal, I think. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think I mean, there you go, play against him. I mean, I think I did actually, or the before. <laughs> it was certainly in that two-week period we had Arsenal that's, and then... That's right, yes. So, um, yeah, and I yeah. remember thinking Overmars, too. But then we lost three two. But again, I think it was Nigel Winterburn stuck one in the top corner of that game. So uh, it was another world worldy finish that, that punished us. But um, no, it was again. It's a great experience. You know, you learn um, little tips. Certainly playing at right back, you're always checking your left shoulder to check where the buff is and making sure you're in line with him. And and you learn. You know, and you have got good coaches around you to to, to help you um, help you adapt. So um, for me, it was just huge, huge, huge learning curves all the time. That particular season, 97-98, Chelsea participated in the Cup Winners' Cup. You made your European debut against, uh, I will get this name right, uh, Slovene Bratislava. Describe yeah. to the listeners your feelings to play in a European game for Chelsea. And, yeah. you know, again, albeit it was the only the Cup Winners' Cup, but how mm. sort of proud what was you to be part of that yeah massively proud again there's another game you mark is an important game because I think 27 years ago or whatever it was 26 27 years so I think we was so proud to be part of the Chelsea team and to be part of that making that history a uh, club you know my local Gummer Hammersmith boy you know to have that to have to avert that and to be part of that was a really proud moment for me um and we, it was a good display. We, we, we dominated the game. It was only 2-0, but we were really in total control of the game. Um, I think I said, set Danny Granville up for his goal. It was That's a right. cracking goal, actually. That's um, right. But it was, uh, no, it was just so proud. It's just that honour to, to represent that club in Europe because Europe is, is the big stage. And again, Cup Winners Cup, you know, I think it was the last year of the Cup Winners Cup, wasn't it? I know it didn't last too much long after. That. That's right. But, uh, but it was, we did win it that like season and then... We was in the semi-finals the next year, and then I think the, that was it. The it was, was, it it was pretty much defunct. Yeah, I was just going to sort of mention about European night. What was it like to play at Stamford Bridge on European nights? No, fantastic. I mean, um, it was special. I think I think any game there is special because it is it is a good stadium. You know, they are they are on top of you, which I think is great. I think that's, that that always aids the atmosphere. You know, our fans are. You know, very loud as you know. They sing the whole game. 
uh, very passionate about about the club and very passionate I think at that stage they were very passionate about young London lads playing for their club you know I think they could relate to us um, in the long run yeah you, you had to be good enough in the end to to, to warrant a, a regular place there like a John Terry for example um, but I think I just remember them being very supportive of of us as a, as young as a young group coming through, trying to state claims for their for their in their team. Um, so I love that about the club, and um, and yeah, it is. It's one of the it's one of the great stadiums. I think people don't talk about Stamford Bridge as much as they should about what a lovely stadium it is. But it, but it's certain. I mean, even then, I think I think the West End wasn't quite fully built when we were playing that game. Remember, it was still under construction. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it just had the bottom bit. Um, but no, it's a phenomenal place to play football. Um, and as you know, the supporters are one of the most passionate in the, in that Premier League. Season turned sort of slightly in 97-98. Rude Hullick was relieved of his duties February of that year. Gianluca Vialli took over. What were your thoughts on the managerial change? I know we sort of touched on it briefly just earlier, but in your opinion, what was Gianluca like as a coach and what differences were there between him and Rude Hullick? Um, again, I think. How long did I have with him? Because it was when. When did it change? Did you say January? It was February of ninety-eight. February. So I had March, April, March, and April. So I only really had two months done there because the following season I was sort of you know cast yeah. to the side. So I think that under those two months, I remember playing Leeds away, come on for a you know ten fifteen minute cameo, and I may have had one or two other appearances under him, but not many. Um, so. What do I remember about his coaching style? I just think because of his, his you know, his, his, his philosophy, he was a hard-working player. People don't give him credit enough. For, he wasn't just technically good. He was, he was a hard-working player. I think that was the basis for his game. Uh, very Italian, you know, press, press, do it at the right times. Um, less flowy football like, 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 like Rude was. So I do remember that about him. Um, but yeah, I think maybe because maybe 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 Jen Luca wasn't wasn't a fan of mine in terms of the way I played the game possibly. So maybe he didn't give me as much time as Rude did in terms of help uh, and, and coaching tips. I think um, it was probably it's a pressure job for him. He's probably forming his team in his mind. Who can I rely on? Who can I trust? Out of these players, you know, who do, who's worth spending the time with? And I don't I don't think I was one. I don't think I was one of them. So. I don't remember getting too much advice from him, um, but the, the guy was—he was—he was a good guy. He was a friendly guy, um, very amiable. I must say that about him. Very likable, um, but just yeah, I, you know, he didn't—he didn't really want me in his team. So yeah, that's, that's fine. That's football. Based on that answer to to that question. So when we talk about the League Cup final in '98, Chelsea appeared obviously in, in the final. Um, you wasn't part of the squad. Did you at that point think I may need to leave here for regular first team football because of you know not being part of the Cup final again, or did you still feel at that point if I work hard, I train hard, there could still be a a future for me here? Yeah, it's, it's difficult one, Cliff, because you know I've been at that club since I was ten years old. You know that, that's a that's a good. What was I at the time? Twenty one, twenty two. That's a twelve year affinity with a football club. Um, 
but professionally it just wasn't working you know I, I i loved i loved obviously the fans were great you know the that side of it was fantastic but the dressing room uh the way i was treated i i i'd fallen out of love with it uh, that's the truth i just felt i i wasn't i didn't feel i wanted to be involved i just didn't i felt a little bit depressed a little bit down a little bit um de-energized by the whole thing um so i think it was best for me 100 percent to to try and find another way out um at that stage but yeah the writing was on the wall not being involved in that squad obviously you know that was that was clear to me um but yeah, I think the the process between not being involved and not being wanted to finding a new club was a very a very um, it wasn't a straightforward process for me. I didn't find that I didn't find them very helpful at all. <laughs> so I, I, I found I found it a very sticky situation. Like, well, if you, you know you don't want me here, but let's you know let help me find another club so I can get on with my career, you know. And uh, that that was a sticky point for me at that stage because I didn't feel that I got that help. But, you know, mm. again, it was so, so long ago. It's such a hazy memory for me now. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I, at that stage, I knew that there was the right was in the wall to find another club. You had a couple of loan moves um, after that season, but nothing materialised in regards to a permanent transfer. Yeah. Was you concerned that, in regards to your career, that, you you was at a crossroads at this point because you've got a contract with Chelsea. You you've made sort of a few loan moves, but nothing's sort of there whereby a permanent home is there. And mm. sort of just to sort of touch on briefly what you made a good point on was Chelsea perhaps trying to maybe keep you at the club for reasons that they had but wouldn't tell you because. And the reason why I asked that is because we had uh, Mark Nichols on the podcast a few months ago and he mentioned he was quite related to you that whereby he wanted to leave. He knew the writer was on the wall, but there was a club that was interested in him. Chelsea told them the price, and but they knew that the club would not be able to afford that. Was that the same in your position? Was there any clubs that you knew that were interested in you, but Chelsea set an asking price that, was quite unrealistic for clubs to p- pursue you? Keith, you know what? Who knows? Because um, I'm not privy to that. You know, uh, I'd, come out of a, I'd come out of playing, you know, a decent number of games for a very good Premier League football team hmm. to then being told there's no club that wants you, you know. Right. Which is, which I, which I, which I always thought, okay, well, that's interesting. Um because I've only, I've played a couple of seasons in the Premier League. Surely someone wants me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I, me- I remember, I remember giving, I remember uh, Gwyn Williams, who was at the club, told me to ring Ian McFarland, who was the manager of Chesterfield in League Two. He said, "There's a good, there's a club for you. There's a good start for you." And I'm like, "Is there no, is there no, is, is there no other options for me? Is this the only option I've got?" He said, "Yeah." It's the only option you've got. It's the only team that's, only team that's relatively interesting. You know? So my confidence was obviously extremely low, uh, mm-hmm. thinking, well, what games are you playing with me? You know, why do you want to just shove me off to the north of England in League Two and just forget about me and just so I my career just dies a death? What what what's your game? You know? Where's your help? 
You know, I've known you since I was 10 years old. What, where's, what, what's, what's your angle here? You know, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand their approach to players they didn't want. It seems it's as if they want you to just disappear into the background. So I can, I can relate to what Mark's saying there. But, you know, they might say, well, you're not as good as you think you are and all that sort of stuff and further hurt your self-confidence. And, uh, and that's fine. You know, that's the game, I guess. But, um, no, for me, I was firmly adamant that, you know, I could play higher. And then sort of like six months later, you get a championship club in, coming for you. And you say, well, hang on a minute. So I haven't played for six months yet. I've now got two levels higher. Because you know what I mean. So it's if they yeah. wanted you to jump at the first, the first one, hmm. because the way we were treated back then, and it, it wouldn't happen now, but the way it was back then, it was uh, it was me, David Rowcastle, and I think Mark Steen. We had to train on our own. We just had to kick a ball with each other and just go right there. You go there's your football. We're training over here. You guys train over there, and that's the way they treated players they didn't want. So it was very, it was very disrespectful, and it was very. Uh, damaging to your confidence as a human being to be treated like that and I think that's that's the area where I'm as a coach and manager now I'm very against that type of treatment because it, it is breaking your spirit basically yeah. and uh, that's 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 not fair so so but saying that look, it makes you strong because you realize okay you know you've got a, you've got a man up here and your agent's got to get working and then you got to get moving. So I ended up going to, um, I think it was crew with Dario Grady, but I was, I was emotionally exhausted at that point. I remember the first training session or second, I pulled my hamstring. So I didn't, I didn't manage to make an appearance there. So <laughs> they were pissed off because they've just signed this lad from Chelsea and he's, uh, he's pulled his hamstring in his second session. Signed me like a two or three month loan deal. And it's like, I think they were very angry with Chelsea thinking you sent me a player that's not fit. So oh, I had to go through that. And then, I eventually went to Stockport, who were in a championship at the time. A really good team. Brett Angel, Ian Moore, and uh, Derek McInnes. And we had a really good team. And um, played seven or eight games for them. Uh, Stockport up in Manchester and loved it. Gary Megson was the manager. You know, he was a real fighty, fiery manager. But I learned a lot there. And played really well. And I, I, from what I understand, you know, I played every game. So what I understood is they, they put an offering for me, like similar to what you've just mentioned, and it wasn't accepted. Uh, and then they sent me off to Norwich. So, you know, I didn't take the bait with Chesterfield and then sort of six, seven, eight months later, I get a championship club. So they probably did play games with me, Keith, if I'm honest. Um, and that's just how they decided to go about that. You know, yeah. it certainly it certainly had a massive effect on my confidence and affected me hugely. Um, but that's what, the way they decided to play it. You know, maybe, maybe they didn't like my attitude. Maybe Maybe they felt... I was above my station, who knows? But you'd have thought adults would behave in a slightly more fairer, balanced, considered manner. But um, that wasn't the case, the way they did it. So, But look, it worked out because I ended up at Southampton with Hoddle. Uh, he sort of picked me up when my contract ended. Um, but like I said to you, I think I was, I was an absolute emotional wreck by that stage. <laughs> but again, I got injured very quickly within like in the first couple of months. I was on the injury bed again. Um, and you know, I had a one-year contract, but I was I was emotionally and physically exhausted from the two years I had at Chelsea, where I was in limbo, being farmed out here, farmed out there, not being told anything, 
being kept in the dark. It was just emotionally, I was I was exhausted. But um, yeah, I do remember. They, they, they were the, they was, that was the sour part because there was so much good stuff to remember about Chelsea and, and my time there and being a local lad and being part of the journey, which we just spoke about. But it was the end of it that was very sour for me. Uh, and I always remember working. It was, it, it, this is an interesting story, actually, Keith. I feel like I'm talking a lot now. No, no, no. Remember, this is, the floor's yours. Feel free. Yeah, it's very real stuff we're talking about. I remember <laughs> the big, the big, the big East stand was Colin Hutchinson. He was the, the managing director at the time. And obviously, we, at the end of my contract, I was 24. And we'd agreed, let's just scrap it, you know. So it was like, a, don't get me wrong, I had like one month left or something. It wasn't as, it wasn't was, as if like... Just just to clarify, this was in 2000, I believe, your contract yeah, when finished? Yeah, I, I, was, I was 24, so I think it was mm. 2000. So yeah. and it, it was the same stretch of car park I used to walk down when I was 10 years old to go to training. So it was really sentimental to walk down that strip where I started my Chelsea career in the car park behind the East End, learning my trade with, with Gwyn and Dave Collier and all these coaches to be walking up that same strip to literally end my time at the club. And I'm not joking. I was crying. I was crying because it was such a sour end for me. Uh, I really disliked the people there for the way they treated me. And I, I walked up to Connacht's office. Everyone ignored me. I, you felt like you was a, you was a leper. And then you went into the office, you signed the piece of paper that released you from your contract. And I walked down and I, I was, I was crying and I just had to, get in the car and, and go home and then just think, right, you know, where's the next, where's the next, uh, the next club. So it was a really emotional time and did affect me. It really did affect me. Um, but yeah, luckily enough, Hoddle knew what I was and what, what I was about and um, gave me a one year contract and I was still in the Premier League. Believe that. How did years, that move? I was just going to ask, how did that move come about? Because, you know, you, you was being offered League Two club. You go to the championship. At the end of your time, a Premier League club picked you up. It, psychologically, you know, what was going through your mind? Because you, you with all due respect, you must have been all, all over the place thinking, what's going on here? You know, you're a yeah. professional footballer. You've been, with all due respect, treated like that for one or two years. You get released, but then a Premiership club wants to sign you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I was I was totally confused, and I I, I, did, I obviously didn't think I was good enough because because of the games that were being played with me and and uh, the the feedback I was getting from them. And you know, you talk to like you know you know you talk too poorly, and 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 you, you it does take a hit. So then you think, how's this come about? You're telling me I'm not good enough. You're telling me I'm a waste of space. You're telling me I'm only good enough for League Two or, or non-league football at best. Then all of a sudden, I'm playing the championship. Then all of a sudden, Glenn Hoddle, who's an exceptionally talented manager, thinks that I'm good enough for Premier League. I just didn't know where I was. So I was, I was, I was emotionally beaten at that point. And I, I just didn't really uh, know what to think. And I had an opportunity, which... I was so grateful for, because basically he said to me, look, Paul, come down, come down, play in a game. And God knows how, how I dragged the performance out. I played really well. And uh, he went, right, we're going to give you a year's contract. We're going to give you an opportunity. And he put me up in a lovely hotel in Southampton and just gave me a real chance. But like I said to you, I was emotionally 
completely trained. And if I'm honest with you, what Southampton gave me was I got on very well with the lads in the dressing room. And I felt, because I felt before at Chelsea, I, I, I felt outcasted. I just didn't feel anyone respected or liked me as, as an individual. But at Southampton, I got on with everybody. So it sort of quashed those thoughts I had about myself. And uh, it gave me a year to sort of find my feet. Now, I didn't play a game because, again, I was, I was injured for six months. Probably a lot to do with the, the emotional drain. So I'm sure that weakens the body. I'm sure there's, you know, in 10 years, 20 years from now, some bright doctor will just prove the link between that. But um, I was just totally, totally gone. And I had a year's, year's worth of money. I had a year to sort of build myself up emotionally and as a player again and try and find my strength again. And I did that. And I'm grateful for Hoddle for giving me that time to rebuild. Um, and the lads at Southampton for the for the for the friendships and the and the, the camaraderie that we shared at that club. It's quite a special club, I think. Southampton is a. I just think it has that vibe about it. But um, yeah, I had a year there. Didn't play a game because again injured again, which not not many people know. Uh, out for six months, didn't didn't manage to play. And Stuart Gray, as I would as a manager, said, "Uzi, your track record hasn't been great. We're not going to extend the contract." And I was sure I don't blame you. Um, and I went off to um, trial on Burnley to Stan Turner. Do you remember Stan Turner? Who was at Chelsea many years ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I ended up going up, going to Burnley for for a couple of weeks. And uh, this is a great story, actually. If you've got time. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I mean, the manager. I, I ended up with an agent who was a great guy called Blackie. Uh, some people in football know who he is, and uh, he's he based up north, really. And Blackie knew everyone. <laughs> and I think just Blackie just thought, you know what, I like you, Hughes. I'm going to try and help you out. So he took me to Stan, who was his mate, Stan Turner, to Burnley. And uh, went up there, put me up in a real crappy hotel with cockroaches, right? horrible, uh, rubbish little B&B. And uh, said, oh, we're going to put you to training. So train with them, train well. I knew Paul Cook from my time at Stockport. Paul Cook's now the manager at... Um, That's right. He's cooking now. Is it Wicked? Ipswich, isn't he? Ipswich, Ipswich Town. Yeah. Yeah. So Cookie knew me from Stockport and he obviously said that this kid, this kid can play, you know. So I got well, well looked after there and played four or five games and scored the best goal I've ever scored. Better than when I scored my debut against Halifax in a friendly. It was just a superb goal. And uh, and basically Stan said, look, you know, there's a good chance you're going to get a contract here. So we went into pre-season. Do you know the first game was against Chelsea? So I had to play... <laughs> I think this team that I'd now, you know, the, te- well, the team I loved, but the, the people I, I'd grown, like, you know, you didn't treat me well. And I was so angry. I was angry, is the truth. I was really angry. So I'm playing against Petit, Desai, I think Jody was playing. I think Lampard was playing. So it was that, it was that team. And I was so angry that I think Frank Lampard got past me and I dragged him back and it was a penalty. I thought, I'm giving away a penalty in the first five minutes against against my old team. Oh, I'm so angry. And then, so that when they scored the penalty, and then I remember, because I played a guy called Lenny, Lenny John Rose, and I said to Lenny, Jody run off, and I said, Lenny, Lenny, it's your man, mark him, mark him. And then, and then Lenny just ignored me and just let, let Jody free, and Jody's at the bar with a shot, and Stan Turner shouted at me, he said, Yuzi, that's your effing man, duh. And I lost my head, and I turned around to Stan, and I went, you F off. That's Lenny's man. He knows it's his man. Stop blaming me. It's not my fault. And it just, it, I exploded on the pitch because I had so much 
energy and anger and emotion in me. And then Stan just put the, put my number up, took me off. So after, so after 20 minutes, I'd given away a penalty <laughs> and I told the manager to wear off and he subbed me in 20 minutes into my game against Chelsea. So everyone at Chelsea, probably, you know, the, 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 the higher level people, Gwyn and Colin, probably rolling their eyes going, there you go. That's why we got rid of that prick, you know, or whatever <laughs> it might be. But um, I just remember it being a real kick in the nuts for me. But And after that, I, I, I left. I left Burnley because it was such a, it was such an outpouring of my emotion that the manager just felt disrespected. And I, I would have probably done the same thing. And I ended up with, um, with Joe Kinnear uh, at Luton. So, yeah, that was my, that was my story. I didn't want to kill time with other teams. I know focused on Chelsea, but... No, no, listen, the fact that you had that adrenaline, you did have a point to prove, albeit, you know, it was yeah. against early season and everything. Good. Touched on your career. We want to talk about the modern football now. Fast forward quite a bit. Um, we've yeah. already mentioned about the European Super League. We want to talk about something that's a bit more controversial, um, isn't likely to go away anytime soon. Paul, your thoughts on VAR, please. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, I think from what I've seen recently, obviously it's become a bit of a farce because things that are offside, you know, clearly wouldn't be given in the old game where you had a linesman. Um, yeah, I, I, I personally feel that linesmen getting things slightly wrong, referees getting things slightly wrong is all part of the game. And we all know that referees and linesmen don't purposely cheat. So that luck, if you like, evens itself out throughout the season. And I think because there's so much money in the game, they're probably thinking we can't afford for those mistakes to be made i.e. Lampard's goal in the World Cup, you know, when it dipped over and went over the line. That's the, that's a clear goal, you know. So may, 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 maybe only for goal line issues do I think VAR's any good. But I think for all the off, offside stuff and that, I think, look, let's just go back to the, to the referees and linesmen and just train them and get them better at what they do. But even then, human error is part of football. Footballers make errors all the time. What, do we have robots on the pitch never making errors? I mean, I think it's all part of the charm of the game. But it's 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 getting ridiculous now. Um, certainly the offside things that we, we just spoke about. I mean, like I said, I, I can see it being advantageous for the goal line stuff because sometimes the referee and the linesman aren't quite in line. They can't see it. But um, other than that, I'm not too sure it has a, has a place. Um, you know, the, re, the rerunning of, of, of certain incidents, I mean, I think it disrupts the flow of the game. Like, like I said, I think human error is a part of football. Players make mistakes all the time. Referees make mistakes, linesmen make mistakes, but overall, you think it evens itself out as the season goes. So I think, me personally, I'd return to the old way of doing it because I think that we quite like those talking points, don't we? You know, yeah. but um, I think, or, or if there's a way VAR can be contained, it's got a bit above its station. Can it be used in a limited way, i.e., maybe for the goal line stuff, and that's about it. But um, Paul, just a couple of questions before we do eventually finish. It's been a bit of a whirlwind season at the moment for Chelsea, um, on and off the pitch. But yeah. your thoughts on Chelsea this season? You know, change of manager, a semi-final in the European Cup, a final in the FA Cup. What's been your thoughts on them this season? Uh, Keith, so much, but I haven't, I haven't kept uh, a tight focus on what they've been doing because you know when you when you manage a team. My, my focus at the moment is step, step three football and watching that. 
and, and finding ways to win that league. So that's where a lot of my time and energy has gone. But obviously, I've watched him on the TV. Obviously, I know about Tuchel and um, he's clearly had a positive effect at Stamford Bridge. There's clearly been an upturn in results and consistency. Um, I think it was I think it was tough for Frank because you know he had that embargo at the start. He brought a lot of young lads in, blooded them in, and and done well. Uh, had some good results. Um, maybe Chelsea were looking for him to take the next step and sign those big players and and become even more of a formidable team. But um, Tuchel seems to have done that. Um, I do enjoy watching him play. I mean, we play a very similar way that three four three or three four two number tens and a one. We you know, I play that way at Hayes, funny enough. So I like the system he plays. Um, and I quite, I quite like I quite like him. I mean, everyone's saying that he's, he, he can rub people up the wrong way and he's difficult to possibly work with in terms of chairman at that level. But um, I quite like him. I think he's quite honest um, and quite brave in the way he plays football. So, yeah, I think at the moment you could say it's been a positive, it's been a positive um Definitely a positive effect on Chelsea and a, and, a, and a positive move by Abramovich to bring him in. Um, and I think he has got that experience and that and that nous to to probably keep them up there. And um, I'll, I'll be yeah, I'll be really interested to see how how they finish the season and where they where they end up. But it looks like they're going to be a top four team the way they're going. Um, I hope they do. Um, but the only time will tell, won't it? And just finally. The fact that this whole interview has been based on your Chelsea career, how, how do you look back on it? Um, well, it's my it's my club. It's my club in terms of um, I was there since I was ten, so I've, you know, I've been wearing I've been wearing Chelsea kits every weekend from ten to to twenty. What was I twenty four when I left? Actually, I, I, I finished in the first team at twenty one, twenty two, but I was stuck at the club till I was twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've been there fourteen years of my life um, and seen seen a lot there, learnt a lot. So I'm absolutely grateful and blessed to have been coached by some brilliant coaches and to have played with some brilliant players. I mean, that's that's my memory of Chelsea. That's what I'm forever grateful for. I'm forever grateful of, of sampling the atmosphere at Old Trafford. I'm forever grateful of playing against Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. You know, I'm forever grateful about playing in Europe for Chelsea, the team that I was at as you know from a 10-year-old kid. So I've got so many good memories that I'm really proud of because that's the height of football. You know, I've, I've performed and played at the, the, the height of football, which I'm really proud about for myself from a personal achievement point of view um yeah and it's taught me a lot about you know the environment I want to create in my club because there's certain things that I would never do that I experienced at Chelsea but there's certain things that I would do (laughs) that I also experienced at Chelsea so in that in that regard it's got a mixed it's got a mixed bag but um in terms of the fans and in terms of how they um support the club and supported those 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 younger homegrown players coming through, and still do. Um, they're they're very special, and they are they are a good group. You know, they are very passionate. We all know that, and I, and I think that uh, I'm glad that I could have I played in front of them. You know, and they've cheered me on. So I think there's lots of things I'm proud about. Um, and now the club is just you know an absolute superpower, isn't it? So it's great to be associated with that. Well, Paul, it's great that you've been associated with the Blue Day podcast today. I've absolutely enjoyed having you on the show. I've enjoyed 
listening to your stories and thank you very much for your time pleasure thanks a lot Keith and happy birthday same birthday as me yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much brilliant take it easy bye-bye This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.